Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Leviticus chapter 10. In Leviticus chapter 10, remember chapter 8, 9, 10, it pertains, I mean, it pertains to pew Christians. You know, as you know, we opened up uh, in our introduction in the book of Leviticus when we started chapter 1, and you heard me mention how uh, uh, Leviticus was very um, pulpit Christian centered, you know, not in fulfillment of the law, but, you know, as, you know, examples for leadership. Uh, when I say not in fulfillment of the law is, or, or not to perform the things of the law, but you know to abide in Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Deuteronomy, we're going to see more pew-centric uh, doctrine, uh, all in accordance with the law. And I'm not advocating the law, uh, but I am advocating abiding in the fulfillment of the law. Remember, all these things are a shadow of the things to come. And, you know, when I say that 8, 9, and 10 are, chapter 8, 9, and 10 in Leviticus are very uh, uh, centralized towards leadership, you know, here we have an example of, it's pretty hardcore. And it pains me, it hurts my heart to, to, to study these things, certain aspects. You know, you're, when, when we study the full counsel of the Word of God, you know, you're going to see aspects that are very, very beautiful. And then you're going to be see aspects of the word that are very difficult and painful even. And such is the case in here in chapter 10. And what's kind of interesting about chapter 10, it's, it's relatively immediate. It's like the first several verses. It's not, there's not a lot of buildup to it. We've already had the buildup to it in chapter 8, 9, and 10 with the, the, the leadership with Aaron and his sons. And so look what happens here in verse 1. It says, Then Nadab and Abihu... The sons of Aaron, remember, these are also priests. Aaron is the high priest. And they were just put with their, their robes. They were just clothed with, the, with the, uh, 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 the, the garments of tabernacle worship. They performed the duties of the priest, what we read last week, and in the previous weeks too. But then at the same time, look what happens here. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, which is like a, a pan for hot coals. Remember, where we left off in the previous chapter, in, in chapter 9, verse uh, um, 23, says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. How beautiful this was. What's happening here? How beautiful. It says, Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So you have the congregation of Israel. What they're doing is they're worshiping the Lord. It's beautiful. Shouting for joy. Rejoicing in the Lord. And then you have here in verse 1 in chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu, priests, sons of Aaron. They each took his censer, which is like a tool for, for coals. You know, like you have a, a fireplace, you know, and you have all these tools. You have the little poker, then you have the little pan deal. It looks like a big spatula. You know, that's kind of how it was, like a big spatula so they can, you know, go in the fire. You know, re reach things in the fire. It says that, and then what did they do? They get their, took their censer and put fire in it and incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord. This word for profane fire translates as strange fire, profane fire, and foreign fire. 
And it begs the question, like, what? Like, you know, it, it, this is like straight up tabernacle worship. And it's referred to here as profane fire or strange fire. It's very interesting because the fact that they put incense on it. But then you read chapter 30 of Exodus. In Exodus 30, you know, the Lord gives the blueprints to Moses about the altar of incense. And not just the altar of incense, but the special ingredients which were to be included, you know, for that uh, uh, special recipe, you know, for the incense. And then the exact locations inside the tabernacle of meeting. And what happens here, the Lord refers to it as profane fire. You know, what's so interesting is that, you know, you have you have like the blueprints and all the blueprints have been followed from the construction of the tabernacle, from, you know, the, 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 the sewing of the holy garments, you know, the anointing of the priesthood. But then something happens here where things are off kilter. It says here, uh, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. You know, it's very interesting because, you know, if we were to look at this with carnal eyes or lukewarm uh, eyes of the lukewarm, you know, would look at it and be like, you know, oh, look, Aaron's sons, they're, they're showing their love and devotion to the Lord. You know, don't judge them, you know, they're showing their love and devotion to the Lord or they're, they're worshiping in their own way. How many times do you hear people say that? Oh, yeah, I, I believe in God, but not the God of the Bible. Or, yeah, I read the Bible from time to time, but I worship in my own way. I believe God in my own way. You know, well, wait a second. That's idolatry. Because you've created another God. You've created another God in the image that you've created in your mind or, you know, wherever it was concocted. You said, no, an angel told me about it. Well, did you test the spirits? Because Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Did you test the spirits? You know, how many times do you see people say this? You know, it's like, yeah, I believe God, but in my own way. Or I want to worship the Lord, but in my own way. When the Lord gives us precise blueprints in his holy word. You know, I'll give you an example, you know, with coding. I don't write code, you know, uh, uh, you know, but, you know, you see these coders, you know, and you see all these lines of code, you know, and it's just like, whoa, it's like a foreign language. And it literally is its own language, you know, they all, all different kinds of code. And, you know, you write this code. When I was a kid, I used to see like code for like programs, you know, like, a, you know, you, you'd, you'd type, you, I get this magazine in the mail and, you know, it'd have like the code to write. So, so you could play a game, you know, it could be checkers, it could be a racing game, it could be whatever. And, you know, I'd spend hours at the computer just following and typing this, typing that. And if, if there's one typo, one, you know, where there should have been, you know, whatever character and I didn't do it, then I couldn't play the game. And so you had to follow everything precisely as written. And it's like, boom, you're done. And then you get to play the game. And that's what the word of God is like. It's holy code. Holy code to apply in your life. And what happens when something is off kilter or, you know, you don't follow the word of God? You know, when you don't follow the word of God, don't expect, expect the blessings of the Lord. Now, it's true that, you know, the, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. God's blessings are for all to behold and all to taste of. 
But like the full blessings of the Lord, when you read scripture, you see the promises of the Lord, what the Holy Spirit can do inside your heart. And if I don't want to apply the word of God in my life, if I don't want to take holy code written in scripture and ingrain it in my heart, in my mind. Well, you know, just like when I was a kid, I can't expect to play the game. You know, it might start up, but then, you know, I hit a button and then it just turns off. I, I wouldn't be able to play it. It doesn't function properly. And that's what you see in Christians today. It's like, wow, you know what? I really like my crack. I really like my alcohol. And I want to apply the word in my life, but to this extent, because I like my crack. I like my sex. I like my alcohol. I like whatever it is. You know, you have to make a hardcore decision. Be honest with yourself. Make a hardcore decision. Am I going to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in my heart? And am I going to yield to Him? Every single person has to ask that of him or herself. And so what happened with Nadab and Abihu? They offered this profane fire before the Lord. Something which was not commanded by God. And you know what? To be honest, I, I don't. It, it's it's. It, sometimes you hear people say that you know. Oh yeah, they're just worshiping God in their own way. It's okay. Oh yeah, they're just showing their love and devotion to God. Well, the best way you and I can show love and devotion and worship the Lord is to follow His word and be obedient to His word, and yield to His word. The aftermath of that, that's between you and the Lord. You know what the Lord does inside of you and through you? That's between you and Him under the manifold grace of God, however He wants to use you. You just have to allow Him to. I have to, we're on the same boat. I have to allow Him to. So what's happening here with Nadab and Abihu, they're doing something which was not commanded of them. And in so doing, what they're doing is they're offering this strange fire before the Lord. Profane fire. And so look at God's response here in verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. You see? The Lord straight up took their lives. Now mockers would say, how could a loving God do this? After all, Nadab and Abihu, they're just showing, you know, their devotion to the Lord. They're worshiping God in their own way. You know, that kind of flies in the face of Scripture. I shouldn't say kind of. It does fly in the, in the face of Scripture when the Lord gives us blueprints for worship. And, you know, I'm speaking about our studies in Exodus and Leviticus. You know, he, he gave instructions to Israel for temple worship. He gave instructions to Israel via Moses. And Moses, in obedience, spread it to the people, gave it to Aaron and his sons. They knew, except Nadab and Abihu didn't follow. They didn't follow the guidelines. They were not following the blueprints, and it came at a heavy cost. Don't forget, they were recipients of God's grace and mercy. Remember when Moses came down from you know, the mountain the first time? He, came, he comes down from the mountain, and what does he see? The golden calf. The golden calf that Aaron fashioned. 
But Aaron wasn't alone. He had his sons there. The entire congregation of Israel. So they, they were recipients of God's mercy. God's grace. Except now it, it took a heavy price. Their disobedience cost them their lives. You know, this is a hardcore message for pastors and elders. Because you know what? I don't question, you know, any person's uh, like devotion unto God. Sometimes I do. But in so doing, you must make sure that it's in accordance with the word of God. For yourself, for your families, and then also for the congregation. That you, pastor, you, elder, you, Bible teacher, are feeding and protecting with God's holy word. And if the diet of the flock, if the diet of God's sheep and his lambs, if it's not his word, what in the world are you feeding them? How do you expect them to grow strong, to mature, if you're not feeding the word of God? If you're not protecting with the word of God, in obedience to the word of God, you yourself in obedience. It's very important to understand these things. These are Old Testament uh, truths that are witnessing to us today. And so, you know, it cost them their lives. Nadab and Abihu. He says in verse 3, And Moses said to Aaron, Remember, Aaron's two sons are now dead. Straight up, dead. And this is what Moses says. He says, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. You know, not a huge statement. Not a huge statement at all. And the Lord is straight up telling him, By those who come near me. You know, all those people who have intimacy with God. Intimacy is a beautiful, beautiful thing. As we, we've studied, the, when Moses has, has intimacy with the Lord, all the congregation of Israel, the elders and Aaron included, they're all at the base camp. Remember uh, Aaron and the elders? They were left not with the camp of Israel, but kind of like halfway up the mountain. But then, you know, during the 40 days and 40 nights, they somehow found their way back to camp. Back with the masses. Except Moses and Joshua, the assistant of Moses. And, you know, they both go up into the mountain. Moses says, hey, Joshua, stay here for a little bit. I don't know if Joshua knew his 40 days and 40 nights. But he stayed there. He didn't go down to the camp. His mind wasn't polluted with the golden calf. His mind wasn't polluted with what was brewing in the camp, carnality in the camp. And so, you know, after the 40 days and 40 nights, Moses comes down from the mountain. He comes out of the cloud. And it was by the command of the Lord. The Lord told him, hey, go back to your people. And so he comes out, meets back up with Joshua. Him and Joshua come down from the mountain. 
you know, and I wonder if they were expecting to, you know, to, to, to see the elders there before they get to camp. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to tell Aaron, you know, about all these things. I can't wait to talk to the elders. And they come down from the mountain. It's like, wow, where are they? They're not where I left them. They're not, they're not here. Joshua, where are they? So they keep going. And then Joshua says, I hear like a party. You know, I hear these noises. Sounds like a big party going on. And Moses is like, yeah, that's not a party. What's really going on? And then the golden calf, they come and they see the people partying. All kinds of revelry, nudity. I mean, we studied this when we were in uh, Exodus uh, 32. Behaviors of the uh, uh, other, uh, uh, other peoples around them. A golden calf. Worshipping a golden calf. But yet the Lord was merciful unto them. You say, what do you mean he was merciful? Well, he didn't kill everybody right there. Remember, Moses interceded for the people. The Lord was like straight up, you know what, Moses? I'm going to start fresh with you. I'm just going to wipe all these people out and I'm going to start fresh with you. And Moses was like, no, Lord, don't do that. No. How he interceded for Israel. Most likely unbeknownst to Israel. But yet he still interceded. You see how beautiful Moses is? And not just Moses, but, you know, it starts to grow. Joshua. And not just Joshua. We're about to see, like, you know, there's more and more. And it's going to build as we progress through the Old Testament. It's more and more and more. We're surrounded by a huge cloud of witnesses captured in Holy Scripture. But yet still the Lord tells Aaron through Moses, those who come near me, intimacy with God, you see? But it's almost like a double-edged sword. You know, when you have intimacy with the Lord, you know, like you see in the minor prophets, how many times a prophet of old would eat of scripture, eat a, a scroll, and it would be sweet in their mouth. It would be sweet to the taste. Like honey. And then they would swallow it and all of a sudden it would become bitter. That's what happens when you're a messenger of the Lord. When you tell people about the good news, when you tell people about God's love, because His name is like honey to your lips. His word is so sweet. And then you swallow His word, you consume His word. And when you become a messenger, when the Lord uses you as a messenger... His word becomes bitter. You know why? Because it will come, it's what comes out of your mouth. You're not a messenger. And God's holy word is not well received by the world. It's not well received by the world. Just as we see in the book of Acts. The persecution of the church. Nothing new under the sun. And he says, by those who come near me, this is the Lord speaking to Aaron, by those who come near me, I, speaking of the Lord, God is saying like, I, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. You see? It's, 
the word must here, it says, I must be regarded and I must be glorified. You know, it kind of evokes like, uh, like there's a choice involved. But in the Hebrew, there's no choice. He just says, I'm holy and I will be glorified. It kind of sheds a little light on Nadab and Abihu. And the condition of their heart. Maybe they were just going through the motions. Maybe they just figured, well, you know, my pops is high priest, so, you know, um, I'm a priest. You know, as his firstborn, and, you know, when dad's dies, when dad dies, I'm next in line. Maybe they had that mindset. I don't know. But regardless of, you know, what their mindset was, uh, the Lord saw their hearts. It was not right. Their hearts were not right before the Lord. And not just that, you know, uh, you know, their hearts weren't right before the Lord. They, you know, they, 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 they in their hearts, the, the Lord wasn't regarded as holy. And, you know, maybe they just wanted to do it for show. You know, the people worshiping the Lord, everybody's, you know, they've fallen down and everybody's shouting for joy. They fall on their faces and they worship the Lord. And maybe they wanted to look cool. You know, they thought they were special people. Wow, look how cool I am. You know, only I can approach this fire. Maybe they thought, whatever the case, they were in the wrong. Maybe they wanted to take glory from the Lord. If you're a pastor, elder, or Bible teacher, never take glory away from the Lord. Never. It is 100% His. Don't ever take glory away from the Lord. Because what is written here? I must be regarded as holy and before all the people I must be glorified. You know, you go to a, a big church where there's like a, it's like a, 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 a rock concert, you know. The worship leader comes out. He's got his, you know, his highlights in his hair. He does his little rock star voice. Dresses with his, you know, his skinny jeans and tries to look cool. I Me personally, I don't think that looks cool at all. But he tries to play a part. And he speaks with his rock star voice, you know. And then they start to sing. Yeah, they got a good voice. It's like, wow, this sounds like a concert. You know, and somebody's working the lights. It's like, you know, like you're in a rock concert. Concert. The smoke comes out from underneath the curtain. It's like, whoa, this is like a performance. And then people cheer like, wow, good job. They start whistling. Wow, good job. Where's God's glory in that? And then the pastor comes out, you know. Gives a message, doesn't even read from the Bible. Gives like a motivational speech. Where is God's glory? I know this is hardcore because you know, you're like, oh, you know, who are you to tell me how to, you know, I'm nobody, okay? We just study the word of God. And I say, regard the Lord as holy. And before all the people, glorify the Lord. If you're a pastor with, you know, 5,000 member church, glorify the Lord. If you're a pastor with, you know, 50 people church, glorify the Lord. And smaller, <laughs> larger. You know, this world is fading. 
straight up. This world is fading. All the kingdoms of this world will be, will be given under the kingdom of Jesus Christ one day. And it's coming. As surely as he lives, it is coming. Now, look what happens here at the end of verse 3. So Aaron held his peace. Do you know how hardcore this is for Aaron? So Aaron held his peace. Now, I got to tell you, this is like a process. When it says held his peace, it's like a process in the Hebrew. To be dumbfounded. This is like, you know, this is like a, a... Multi-step process. Step number one, to be dumbfounded, to be astonished, and then to stop. Remember, Aaron, Aaron lost his two sons here. His two kids are dead. You know, how many people, when a child dies, how many people would still love the Lord? And how many would blame the Lord? Oh, God, you know, I loved you. I followed you. And you give me this. I'm done with you, Lord. You know what? I'm not even going to call you God anymore. I'm out of here. And then they turn their back on the Lord. It's not the case with Aaron. He held his peace. It's not to say that you can't have shock. Shock to the system is not to say that you can't be dumbfounded when people, you know, make their decisions, when people make their choice and, you know, their actions result in, you know, heavy things to include death. So held his peace here. Aaron held his peace. Here's the process is to be dumbfounded, to be astonished, and then to stop. And then after stopping... To restrain, to refrain, to be still, to be quiet, and to hold on to tranquility and peace, and to be free from strife. You see, it's, when I say it's a process, how hardcore is this process? It's not an easy thing to hold your peace. You know, especially in the human experience, be it anger, be it hurt, be it pain. There are certain days throughout the year which are very difficult days for me personally. Not a lot. But you know, I've learned to just Hold my peace. The Lord has shown me how to hold my peace. And you know what? He'll show you how to hold your peace. It's okay to be shocked. It's okay to be astonished and even dumbfounded. It's part of the human experience. But in obedience to the Lord, what do you do? You stop. A carnal response, you know, when you're shocked and dumbfounded, you know, you're trying to hold the peace, but then all of a sudden it's just like you can't. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm done with you. I'm going to go back to my alcohol. I'm going to go back to my crack. I'm going to go back to my drugs. That's what the multitude does. That's what a lot of people do. 
But the Lord didn't call me to teach and speak to dead people. He called me to speak to the living. And so I tell you, as difficult as it is to hold your peace sometimes. And once you stop, you know, it's perfectly okay to be dumbfounded and astonished. But you know what you do? You refrain. You restrain. You be still. Allow yourself to be still and to be quiet and hold on to tranquility and peace and restrain from strife. To be free from strife. And don't forget, this is the Old Testament. As New Covenant believers, we have a helper, capital H, the Holy Spirit. The helper who's also the comforter. But consider for a moment the heart of Aaron. Yeah, he just lost his helpers in the ministry. But he just lost his sons as well. And yet through it, he holds his peace with God. I have to tell you something about the knowledge of God's word and understanding of God's word. Falls, when people fall, almost 100% of the time, it comes as no surprise. It comes at absolutely no surprise. When you have the knowledge of God's word and you have understanding of his word, when people fall, when people stumble, you're not going to be surprised. Because it's... I mean, I'll give you an example, you know, like, you know, say you're in church and you're talking with another guy. You're talking with a guy who says, you know, you're talking with him, you know, a female walks by and then you see his eyes, you know, they're they're looking at you and then they follow this girl walking and they don't just follow this girl walking, but they go start to go up and down. And then, you know, you tell the guy, hey, man, what are you doing? You know, would you do this if your wife were here? Would you look and then it's almost like, okay, when you have the knowledge of the word and you have the understanding of the word, it's almost like it's being revealed that, you know, this guy is going to fall. Because you start to see building blocks of carnality. And as much as you talk with this guy, as much as you love this guy, as much as you try to teach this guy, as much as you pour into this guy, you know, he has his own choices to make. And then it happens a week later, it happens a couple weeks later. And then finally, you muster up the courage to say, hey, look, you know what? I noticed this about you and it's not right before the Lord. And then they get mad at you. Oh, don't judge me unless you be judged. You know, it's okay to look, just don't touch. I've been told that before by men. It's okay to look, just don't touch. And then, you know, two months later, the wife calls you. Oh, my husband did this. My husband did that. And, you know, she's weeping and crying. My husband did this. It's like, you're not surprised. You're not surprised. That's what happens when you have knowledge and understanding of God's word. You hear me say that falls come at no surprise. You know, it's it's the work of the flesh. 
because the word of God is a holy recipe that we have to follow. We have to choose to follow. You know, God doesn't make robots. I'm not a Calvinist either. I'm not into Reformed theology at all. You know, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. Yeah, it is written. Jacob, he loved Esau. He hated Yeah, it's true. But keep reading. Exodus 20, God has mercy. You know, uh, let me read it. You know, God has mercy. Uh, let me turn there really quick. To those who love me and keep my commandments, Exodus 20, verse 6. To those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, people say Reformed theology, people. Oh, yeah, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. Yeah, it's true, but it's also conditional. The Lord tells us in Exodus 20, verse 6, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You love the Lord and obey the Lord, and God will show you his mercy. Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. Yeah, keep reading. Because it's revealed that Esau was a lying fornicator. Hebrews 12. Make sure I was get confused between Hebrews 12 and 13. Yeah, Hebrews 12, 16. Lying, uh, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. He was a lying fornicator. Esau. So people say, oh yeah, Jacob, he loved Esau, he hated. Okay, keep reading. What was going on in Esau's heart? He had a choice to make for his own heart. There is a holy recipe for us to follow, for you to follow, and for me to follow. It's Genesis to Revelation, the full counsel of God's holy word. You know, a hardcore message for pastors, for elders, for Bible teachers. And then also a hardcore message for parents. You know, you can't, you have little kids. You raise them up, you train them up, you teach them. And each and every day that they wake up is another day where your hold on them is loosened. You know, 365 days in a year. I never understood leap year, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't get it, you know. I just, you know, look at the calendar and trust the calendar. I don't get the whole leap year thing. Or, you know, every four years, I don't know. But 365 days in a year, that's it. You know, what if a child leaves home at age 17? What if a child leaves home at age 18, 19? Or, you know, if you're liberal, they leave home at age 40. But at some point in time, they're going to leave home, you know, Lord willing. But every single day, your hold on your child gets less tight. They're going to have to go. They're going to leave. And they have their choices to make. Sometimes they're going to fall. And sometimes they're going to fly. And this is a hardcore message for parents too. Because what happens when they fall? I can't tell you how many times I've talked to crying mothers about their sons on drugs, on their sons that are, you know, alcohol ridden, you know, or they're in jail, in prison. You talk to crying moms. It's like, well, you know, 
You've done your part, mother. Very rarely do I talk with dads concerned about their kids. I wonder, you know, what does that tell us? But, you know, a weeping mom, oh, yeah, my kid's in jail. My kid's in California in jail. My kid's in prison. My kid's over here. It's like, okay, well, they're reaping. They're reaping what they have sown. Let's pray for them. You see, God is not absent. He moves. I mean, we we read the book of Acts. We see how he responds to prayer. But I think parents forget, you know, that they have 365 days a year. You know, multiply that by 18. You know, factor in the fact that, you know, time flies. You know, I've never talked to a parent with an 18-year-old going off to college, I've never talked with a parent who says, man, that took forever. <laughs> I couldn't wait for this kid to leave. That took, that felt, I know it was just 18 years, but it felt like 500 years. You know what every single parent tells me? Man, I was changing his diapers like it was just yesterday. I was changing my baby girl's diapers and I remember like it was just yesterday. And then your kid leaves home. And you know what? They're either going to fall or they're going to fly. Sometimes they're going to fly and then fall a little bit. But then they're going to keep flying. But you know what you do? You keep praying. And through it all, you hold, their, you, you hold your peace. Hold your peace. Because they have their own choices to make. And I know it's difficult to hear me say that. But it's true. And, you know, just as we see in Moses, just as we see in Job, you can intercede for your kids and pray for your kids. I mean, old people, it's like, wow, they pray for their kids. They pray for their grandbabies. You know, involved with the child, just like we read in Acts and in, in, in chapter, the early parts of chapter 16 with uh, 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 Lois and Eunice, with little Timmy. Very involved in their lives. Sowing seeds of righteousness in a young child's life. And then all of a sudden the child grows and look what's happening. And little Timmy. And it with Aaron here in chapter 10 of Leviticus. Nadab and Abihu are now straight up dead. Because something was going on in their heart. The Lord wasn't regarded as holy. The Lord wasn't being glorified. You know, and on top of that, you know, they kind of didn't follow, you know, the instructions of the Lord. Why were they putting incense? And offering and, and not on the altar of incense. And the Lord is calling it profane fire. And Aaron held his peace. Amen. How difficult would that be for Aaron, you know? Two sons, freshly dead. And yet, 
He exercised self-control, which as New Covenant believers is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Self-control, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Self-control. It's part of the human experience. You're going to be hit with all kinds of stimulus. And it's going to... It's going to create all kinds of emotions in you. And even in those moments, what do you do? You be still and wait on the Lord. You be still. Sometimes you have to stop immediately like, okay, I can't let my mind go down this path because if it does, you know what? I'm going to murder somebody. So you have to protect your mind. Whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't think about, you know, stabbing somebody. You have to protect your heart, protect your mind. Bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. And the Holy Spirit will help you. Will help you to hold your peace. And then look what happens here in verse 4. Then Moses called Mishael and Elsaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, and carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics. You see what's interesting here is that Nadab and Abihu, they have their tunics on these holy garments and now they're on the dirt. This garment of covering, they're on the ground now. It kills me. It breaks my heart. My heart aches even right now as I speak. My heart aches for Aaron. His sons are freshly dead. He raised them, you know, changed their little diapers or whatever they had back then, their little cloths. <laughs> Taught them how to walk. You know, fed them, gave them, you know, cut up their meat or whatever, you know. I don't know. But to see a child grow and all of a sudden in service unto the Lord, and, you know, the Lord requires their life. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. In verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, it's to fall aside. It's a state of apostasy, to apostatize. If they fall away, it says to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again. You know, remember our study in Hebrews? There was that concept of re-crucification. It can't be done. And the writer here in chapter 6, you know, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the, age, of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Notice it's self-inflicted. 
since they crucify again for themselves. You say like, whoa, this is a hardcore message. It sounds like, you know, there's no hope. No, there's always hope. But if you're listening to my voice and you're raising little ones, do it well in honor of the Lord. And if you yourself, if you're listening to my voice and you're estranged from Christ, you know what I say? Repent and come back to Christ. Don't play games with Him. Because God loves you. Remember, Jesus Christ says, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I love Him. But you know what? I also love my strip clubs. I also love my crack pipe. I love my alcohol. No, do away with those things. Those are inhibitors, restrictors in your walk with the Lord. Be alive in Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know this is a hardcore message. Especially this topic of like, whoa, Aaron's sons. I fully understand that. Don't forget, you know, like a lot of times what pastors do is they think of like church as like their little business. They have kids. It's like, okay, I'm a pastor. So, you know, I'm going to have my kid. He's going to be my co-pastor. And then my other kid, he's going to be my elder. And then my daughter, she's going to be the worship leader. And it's like a family affair. But when you read the Bible, it's not a family affair in accordance to the flesh. It's a family affair in accordance to faith. In accordance to faith. Especially when we have what we read in Scripture in, in uh, uh, Matthew 10. Let me read it. Let me turn there first. Matthew 10. Do not think, 1034. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword it's to divide. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You see? The Lord teaches us it's it's counterintuitive to the flesh. It's counterintuitive to things carnal. You know why? Because it is spiritual, it is heavenly, and is discerned by the Holy Spirit. Nadab and Abihu, they had their choices to make individually for themselves. They had their own choices to make. And you know what? Aaron held his peace. And, you know, now their bodies are being taken away by their cousins. And then so look what happens here in verse 5. It says, so they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, these are, you know, his sons. These are, you know, the other kids. Because remember, there were four kids in Exodus 6.23. You start to see the, uh, the family of Aaron. And this is what Moses says. Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes. It's, you know, this, this act of mourning. 
You know, it's like they had their tunics. Remember, they're 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 priests. You know, the, the, the congregation of Israel, they're worshiping the Lord. And Moses is telling them, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. They're a protective element to Israel. Aaron and his sons, his remaining sons, his living sons. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. Remember in the previous chapter, in chapter 9, 24, the fire is, is consuming the burnt offering. You know, and because of the strange fire, because of the disobedience of Nadab and Abihu, because the Lord wasn't glorified, because the Lord wasn't regarded as holy, this fire that was consuming the burnt offering, you know, it's also consuming, or it has also consumed Nadab and Abihu. As a result of their disobedience. As a result of their dishonor. And the Lord is saying, hey, don't uncover your heads nor tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon other people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. That's so hardcore what's happening here. The anointing oil of the Lord is upon you, and they did according to the word of Moses. Consider for a moment a carnal reaction to what's happening here. In their sorrow, the priesthood, Aaron and his sons, taking their tunics off and weeping. And I would completely understand it, you know, for humanity's sake, I would completely understand it. Sorrow for the sons, sorrow for their brothers. Sorrow for the death of Nadab and Abihu. I would completely understand their sorrow. Their sorrow exemplified by sorrowful behavior. I would get it. I would even understand if they got angry, mad at God. I would understand. I wouldn't advocate it, but I would understand it. You know, there was one time I was talking with this foolish elder. And he was probing and probing and probing. Finally, I told him something that was hurtful. And then he leans in on me. He says, you know what? You need to get mad at God. Have you ever cussed God out? And in my mind, I'm like, what a fool. Immediately, I thought this guy counsels like all, all the people, like my friends in the church. This guy gives counsel to, you know, he's telling me I should cuss out the Lord. And he leans in on me. He's like, have you ever cussed out God? Have you ever just cursed him out? I have, and you know what? It just felt so good. I was like, what in the world? You see, carnal reactions are reserved for the carnal. 
And it's, you know, it, even questioning the Lord, questioning of the Lord, it's, it's okay, you know? Don't take the counsel of that stupid elder, that dumb, foolish elder who shouldn't even be an elder. Who says, oh yeah, cuss out the Lord. You know what? You know, you'll feel so good. Just curse him out. No, that's that's the counsel of Satan. But it's okay to question the Lord. You say, whoa, I don't want to question. You know, God is sovereign. I don't want to question him. Now, when I say God is sovereign, I don't I don't say that mockingly. He is sovereign. But a lot of people of the reformed nature, the reformed persuasion, that's all they say. God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. And you know what I say? If God is sovereign, act like it. If God is sovereign, like you say, behave like it. Oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. Okay. Read Habakkuk. He questioned the Lord. It's only three chapters. It's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. Because Israel is just torn asunder, defeated in a state of defeat. And beautiful, beautiful Habakkuk on his knees before the Lord. And he's pleading with the Lord, Lord, where are you? Where are you, Lord? I thought, you know, you tell me that you're this. You tell me that you're that. You tell me that you're this. But where are you? And then all of a sudden, the Lord starts to speak. He says, Habakkuk. I'm going to do something that, you know what, it's going to blow you away. Even you're not going to believe it. I mean, what if the Lord told that to you? I mean, here you are, you're you're talking to the Lord. And then number two, the Lord is talking back to you. You know, there's this nice, beautiful interaction. So your belief is already like, you know, high, high scale, high end, like high echelon faith. Your belief in the Lord is, you know... Beyond the realm of the norm. And the Lord says, you know what? I'm doing something that not even you're going to believe. That's what he told to Habakkuk. I'm going to blow you away, Habakkuk. That's what he's saying. Then you get to chapter 2. More interaction. Then you get to chapter 3. And what do you see? Habakkuk is just worshiping the Lord. It's okay to question the Lord. Don't question him like, you know, with any carnal intention but when you pray to the Lord it's like Lord bear your soul out to him he already knows but what dad doesn't like to hear from their kid every now and then you know talk to him you pray you cry out to him and he will respond you see it's so beautiful what's happening because you know it's this my my carnal inclinations, my own humanity, you know what? I would understand it completely. If, if they just started, if, if Aaron and, and his other sons, the living sons, if they were like mad and sad and crying and weeping, if they just wanted to say, hey, time out, you know what? Let's take these tunics off. Let's, you know what? I got to go home. I just, I, I can't, I completely understand it. Questioning of the Lord, I would understand it. Questioning of His ways, His methods, I would understand it. 
But you know what happens? The Lord has given us blueprints. And you know what? When you follow the blueprints, you're going to have greater and greater and greater and greater understanding. Remember, the word, it's discerned by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you this understanding. And when you have this understanding, you'll learn to hold your peace within yourself. You'll have a helper too. These are things that I have learned the hard way. And I don't say that like, wow, look how cool I am. I say that like, wow, you know what? The Lord can do it in your life too. A lot of times I have to keep my mouth shut. And my number one, my chief issue is with anger where anger turns to rage. That's like the step, you know, it's like we're, you know, I'm peeved and then I'm angry and then it goes from being peeved to being angry, from angry to rage and then from rage to I don't care about prison. That's very, very dangerous for me. I have to walk on eggshells when it comes to the topic of anger. But praise be to the Lord because it's also a thorn that keeps me on my knees before the Lord. And the Lord will teach you how to hold your peace. You know, it might be that you can't enter certain environments. You can't be in certain environments. So what do you do? You extricate yourself from certain environments. And you start to see the selfless obedience unto the Lord in Aaron, in Eleazar, and Ithamar. Selfless obedience to the Lord. Because if they were selfish, they time out, Moses, I got to go. I'm, I'm sad. You know, I'm mad. I can't do this. You know what? I'm, I'm out of here. Or they could be selfless, but disobedient. What if they're like, okay, I'll be here. I'm going to do this. But you know what? I'm weeping. I'm crying. I'm mad. My heart's not right before the Lord. No. What do you see? A picture of selfless obedience. It's a hardcore message for pastors. Selfless obedience unto the Lord. In my younger days, I used to have a group of guys that I was very close to, very close with. To this day, I have never had that level of closeness with this group of guys, never. It's it's deeper than brother, like brothers in the natural sense. It's deeper than blood. A lot of violence too. But I've never had a brotherhood as close as this small, tight-knit group of guys. Who's in the military. You know, and the way I see this, it's like, and it, I'll give you an example Say you're a platoon of guys and you're in a firefight. You know, you're just, you know, leaning back on your, you know, your rucksacks, your Alice packs, you know, and you're just leaning back, you know, and you kind of position your flak jacket, position your pack like it's, it's like a little, you know, a makeshift bedding, you know, your head is positioned nicely in your, your helmet. And then all of a sudden you're in a firefight, you know, you hear the, the shot. It's like, whoa, you know what? And then all of a sudden, everybody hops to, you know, weapons hot. 
and you start to return fire. And then the bad guy starts shooting back at you. And then you see your best friend. The one who, you know what, was you're very intimately close with. His head gets blown off. And then your other buddy, you know what, his arm gets blown off. You know RPG incoming, you see the smoke trail. It hits nearby. You see three of your best friends just blown. Dead. Corpses. Blood all over the place. Body parts. Maybe their blood is splattered on you. It's not to remove the anger. Not to remove the uh, the, the, the sadness. You know, what are you going to do in that situation? Put down your arms? You know, take off your helmet and weep? Put your rifle down? It's nonsense to think like that. The time to mourn is later. Because you have a job to do. You have to engage. Close with and destroy the enemy. You have a job to do. That's in certain circles in the U.S. Marine Corps. What about as Christians? It's not to say, you know what, say for example you're an old parent, maybe you're a grandparent, and your son or daughter is no longer walking with the Lord. Or say you're a son or daughter, and you know, somebody close to you is no longer walking with the Lord. Maybe a parent is no longer walking with the Lord. That doesn't mean, you know, you put your rifle down. doesn't mean you put your sword down. It doesn't mean you put your shield down. You know, the counsel, the stupid counsel that an elder told me, you know, have you ever cussed God out? Have you ever cursed him? That's so stupid. Don't you ever do that. You can question the Lord just like beautiful, beautiful Habakkuk did. And when he responds, you know what? Worship him just like Habakkuk did. That's what's so beautiful about this passage. It's hardcore what has happened. Nadab and Abihu, they made their choice. But you as a Christian, that doesn't mean you put your shield down, put your sword down, and you just give up. Take off the robe of Christ. No, it doesn't mean that. It means all the more. You're in a firefight. You wear that robe. You wear the armor. You wear the, you take up the shield, the helmet. Take the sword and you fight. You know why? Because you have a heart to protect. You have a mind to protect. People are going to make their choice. People you don't know, they have to make their choice. People you do know, they have to make their choice for themselves. People who you love, they have to make their own choice. And sometimes these choices impact other people that you know, impact other people that you love. They still have to make their choice. And, you know, part of that is reaping what they have sown. But even still, you have to protect your heart. Fight. Don't drop the shield. Don't drop the sword. Just like the Lord is saying, or the Lord has given to Moses as Moses is giving to Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar. 
He says in verse 7, he says, You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. This is so hardcore. Fight, stay fully engaged. You have plenty of oil, you've been storing plenty of oil. You know, if you have been storing oil, which I'm never going to stop saying, if you haven't started, you know, storing oil, Start today, right here and now. Start today storing oil for your lamp because there's going to come a time when there's no more oil. There's going to come a time when there's no more oil. Or it's going to be too late. You're going to run out of oil and it's going to be too late. You're going to be like the five unwise virgins, the five foolish virgins. But no, I desire you to be like five wise virgins storing plenty of oil for the night, for the darkness that's coming, if it's not here already. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. The end of verse 7, and they did according to the word of Moses. You see? Obedience. Not obedience to Moses. Moses was like the messenger. Obedience to the Lord. The Lord is speaking to Moses, and then Moses gives what the Lord has given him. And they so do. In verse 8, then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying this. It's very interesting because in the past, Aaron was the uh, spokesperson of Moses. In the past, you know, God would speak to Moses and say, Okay, Moses, tell Aaron this. Tell Aaron this. Tell Aaron this. Now you have direct communication from God to Aaron, the high priest. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron. You see how beautiful this is? It's direct why? Aaron followed the blueprints. You hear me say how, you know, this is a hardcore message for pastors, elders, Bible teachers. Because who is speaking to you and who are you heeding? Or, you know, are you listening to an angel uh, 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 that presents himself as an angel of light? Or are you listening to the Lord? You know, I- I've spoken to people before. Pastors, elders, people who refer to themselves as prophets, people who refer to themselves as a prophetess. And they have told me, thus saith the Lord, the Lord has revealed this to me. And then they lay it out. It's like, okay. Well, let's see what the Lord reveals in Scripture. And then I point pinpoint, okay, this is what the Bible says. So let me ask you something, prophetess. Who in the world are you listening to? Or, you know what, who out of this world are you listening to? You're listening to a demon. You're listening to Satan. Oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. Okay, you know. So-called prophetess. Oh, yeah, the Lord revealed this to me. Thus saith the Lord. And they lay it out. And it's like, okay, what does the Bible have to say? What does God's holy word have to say about this particular topic? You see, that's what's so beautiful about the knowledge of the Word of God. It's a protect, it's protection. Protected in His Word. Remember, the Word became flesh. It's part of abiding in Christ. Not that we have placed any, like, you know, remember, those who know, know in part. That's the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 19. Those who know, know in part. It's not to be boastful about knowledge. 
is to boast in Jesus Christ. Love is the greatest gift. But that doesn't mean, hey, be stupid. You know, love is the greatest gift, so I'm not going to read the Bible. No, read the Bible. Abide in Christ. Understand who Christ is. You know, the Word became flesh. That's what's happening here. The Lord is speaking directly to Aaron now. It's not, you know, the Lord isn't telling Moses for Moses to tell to Aaron. It's direct. Because Aaron has followed the blueprints. And so look what happens here. Look at what the Lord is telling him. Verse 9. Do not, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. Translates as strong drink. Do not. You nor your sons with you. When you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You know, pastors who have told me, you know what, don't tell anybody, but I like to have a buzz. I like to drink alcohol. I like to have a buzz. Stupid. Or pastors who tell me, you know what, I just can't drink on church days. I can't drink, you know, when we have these prayer meetings. I can't drink on... Sunday, I can't drink on, you know, Bible study days. It's just for church days. Because, see, it's written here when you go into the tabernacle of meeting. How stupid that is. What about your tabernacle? What about your own body? Which is, you know, where the Shekinah glory of the Lord should be. Here's the reason why. Verse 10. That you may distinguish which translates as to recognize, perceive, to understand, and to discern. That you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. The Lord is telling him, hey, don't drink, so that you can have this discernment of holy and unholy, unclean and clean, and good and evil is what he's telling him. In verse 11, and that you may teach, which in the Hebrew translates as to point out, which includes directional. Like say, for example, we're walking. We're walking like in the middle of nowhere. And you're following somebody who just says, okay, yeah, let's go over here. Points in one direction. Oh, you know what? Let's go over here. You take, you know, you walk a mile one direction. And all of a sudden they change their mind. No, 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 no. Let's go this direction. And then they go. Everybody's following this guy. Well, who's, how is this guy getting his directions? Who's the one that, you know, pulls out a compass, you know, pulls out a compass, shoots their azimuth, and then all of a sudden says, okay, points in a direction, we're going this way. And that's how this word translates in the Hebrew, about teaching, that you can point out, which includes directional, we're going this way. Flow as water is also how it translates. Also translates as to direct, to inform, and to instruct. That's the reason why. That you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which, which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Let me tell you something about alcohol. It is in direct opposition to biblical discernment. And one's ability to teach. I'll say that again about alcohol because it's a big problem in the church today. Bible teachers who like to get drunk. Bible teachers who like strong drink. 
you know, pastors, elders, Bible teachers, youth leaders. They have their Bible study groups, you know, with their alcohol. Stupidity of the last days on full display. Alcohol is in direct opposition to biblical discernment and one's ability to teach. Today, Bible teachers like the strong drink. It's commonplace. Commonplace. And the Lord is straight up telling Aaron, Hey, don't drink wine or intoxicating drink. Not just him. He says you and your sons. Remember, high priest and priests. And what was the function of the high priest and priests? The function was for them, for Israel to be right with God. I mean, you think of functionality as like, you know, transactional. It's not just, you know, like uh, to do something to occupy your time. There's a purpose behind it. So that Israel can be right with God. People's sins can be covered, can be atoned for. Pastors today, elders, Bible teachers, keep your temples clean. You say, well, are you telling me I can't have alcohol? Hey, I'm just a messenger. Look what alcohol does. Look at what the Lord is saying, you know, to abstain from strong drink and wine. It says in verse 10, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, that you may recognize, perceive, understand, and discern between holy and unholy. Remember, this is a hardcore message for pastors, elders and Bible teachers, youth leaders, a hardcore message. And I tell you, as a former alcoholic, the Lord freed me from alcohol. Almost, i say about 85% of my stupid decisions were made as a result of alcohol. The other 15% was just because I was stupid at the time. You know, if you're teaching God's holy people, if you're teaching God's flock, His lambs, His sheep, and you're in a position where you're the one pinpointing Hey, we're going to go this direction. You're the one which new wine flows out of. You're the one directing, informing, and instructing. Then you know what else needs to happen? You need to be able to distinguish between holy and unholy. Between unclean and clean. Between good and evil. And that's why the Lord is saying to Aaron, Hey, Cut this out. This alcohol business, cut it out. You know, take for example all the Bible teachers that you know. And of all the Bible teachers, personally, not just like radio and, you know, internet, just like personally. All the people who teach the Bible that you know. Now, of that group of people, it should be small because, you know, let not many desire to be teachers. Of that small group of people. Take the ones who like to drink their wine, their alcohol, their strong drink. Take the ones out. Who's left? Who's left? And if who's left, you know, adheres to, you know, sound doctrine, you know, not who's left and, you know, also dabbles with Mormonism and witchcraft. I guarantee you it's very few. 
And the ones who drink their alcohol, their wine, their strong drink, examine their lives. Look at the fruit of their lives. You know, everything's on full display. Wisdom and foolishness on full display. Take your pick. You know, you're not a robot. If you teach the Bible and you're listening to these words, stay away from strong drinks, stay away from wine. You say, wow, you sound like you're legalistic. No, I'm not legalistic. Look what is written here. I desire that you are able to distinguish between holy and unholy. And that you are able to teach the people that God has before you. You know, you see, a lot of people say, oh, it's okay to drink. You know, Paul told Timothy to. Yeah, Timothy was sick. You know, Timothy was like, oh, I'm not touching alcohol. No way. I'm not drinking that stuff. So Paul found out about it, wrote him a letter. Hey, Timothy, I thought you were sick. You know, let me put, I'll, I'll put this to you in modern terms. You know, Timothy, you know, Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, drink some NyQuil. You know, take some cough syrup, you know. When I was a kid, you know, my friends and I, we used to drink, you know, uh, uh, syrup, uh, cough syrup. We used to get mouthwash, you know. That was in my stupid days. You know, it was really stupid, but man, you know, my breath smelled good. Don't be stupid. If you're a Bible teacher, if you're a pew Christian, not to denigrate, not to say like, okay, you're of lesser value as a pew Christian. No, because you might be a pew Christian today, but you know, years down the road, you might be a pulpit Christian where the Lord says, okay, you've applied these things in your life. You're not a hypocrite. So now I want to call you to be a pastor. I want to call you to be an elder. I want to call you to teach the Bible. It's the Lord who's doing the work. You, me, we just have to let him. And this is what the Lord is speaking to Aaron. Stay away from this drink. Because you know what? You have a job to do. Not just you, Aaron, but your sons who are also your high priest. And these are the priests. They're in service unto me. And I'm using them because I want Israel to be right. And so you, you need to be clean. You know, you need to be able to distinguish, to discern what is holy and unholy. That you may teach the children of Israel. Very important. Look at verse 12. And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons who were left. Take the green offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord and eat it, eat it uh, and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. Kodesh, Kodesh. Just like we studied, you know, a couple chapters ago. Kodesh, Kodesh. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your, your due and your son's due of the, of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord. For so I have been commanded. Remember, Moses is giving him this instruction. In verse 14, the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, and your daughters with you. For they are your due and your sons' due, which are given from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire 
to the to offer as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever, as the Lord has commanded. You see, everything's in by command of the Lord. The problem with Nadab and Abihu, the sons who died, is like the end of verse one, you know, which he had not commanded. They were doing things out of commandment of the Lord. You know, and then what the Lord reveals when he says, I must be regarded as holy and before all the people, I must be glorified. speaks a lot about their hearts. Nadab and Abihu. Everything here is in verse 15, as the Lord has commanded. In verse 16, then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering. And there it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, when it says he was angry, it translates as he was enraged. He was enraged. He was mad. In verse 17, quote, this is what he says. Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place since it is most holy and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? See, exclamation point, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place as I commanded, end quote. And look at beautiful Aaron here. He comes on the scene in verse 19. And Aaron said to Moses, look, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offerings, uh, their burnt offering before the Lord. And such things have been befallen me. Remember, his two sons are dead, freshly dead. Nadab and Abihu. He says, and such things have befallen me. Put yourself in Aaron's shoes here for a moment. Just selflessly obedient to the Lord. But then at the same time, it's just like he's holding his peace. And yet, at the same time, you see a little bit of like, wow, like, look, look, look what a day this has been, Moses. Such things have befallen me, exclamation point. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord, question mark? You see. You know what's interesting here? Why did God relent? I mean, like, take Nadab and Abihu. You know, they, it cost them their lives. This is what, what had not been commanded them. They, they did what, they, what, what, you know, they offered the profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded, the end of verse 1. So you look at verse 19, it's like, okay, why did the Lord relent? Why did, in, in verse 17, Moses asked him, why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place? All these things that they didn't do. In verse, the end of verse 18, as I commanded. You see that? Why? So we're at the end of verse 19. Why did God relent? There's several things we see here. Number one, we see God's mercy. His mercy. You know, it's... I don't know the, the age of uh, Eleazar and Ithamar. I imagine they were young. Younger than their other two brothers, Nadab and Abihu. I don't know their age. But even still, you see a picture of God's mercy. 
On top of that, you also see a picture of Aaron's intercession. You see a little bit of his, his humanity. Telling Moses, Moses, such things have befallen me this day. Do you know what kind of day this is, Moses? Yeah, you know, I'm being obedient to the Lord, but wow, you know what? Like his sons are dead. You see Aaron's intercession. You see his humanity. But then it's also revealed that, you know, this disobedience to the Lord of Nadab and Abihu, it's more of a heart matter. It's more of a heart matter. What do you mean it's more of a heart matter? Well, look at verse 3. He says, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. If you're a Bible teacher, pastor, elder, youth leader, Bible teacher, you must regard the Lord as holy. You must. And remember, in the Hebrew, it, the must isn't there. The Lord is just straight up saying, hey, I'm holy. And I will be glorified. So that's what you must do as a vessel of honor. You know, you hear me specifically pinpoint pastors, elders, Bible teachers, but you know what? Pew Christians, it's for all of us. We're all in the same boat. I, I was a pew Christian at one time. You know, I, was, I went from non-believer to pew Christian, and then, you know, the Lord called me into ministry to teach. And the Lord can call you into ministry. So you, you hear me say pew Christian, I don't say that in, in a denigrating fashion. I don't say that to uh, belittle you. Or, you know, to uh, uh, speak negatively about you. I say that to be hopeful. Because, you know what? Amongst the pastor community, amongst the elder community, I mean, we're here in, in you know, the Western United States, which is ultra-liberal. But it's craziness. It's one of the indicators of the last days. Pastors who will themselves become wolves. Pastors who themselves will become shills, hirelings, will not feed the sheep, will not protect the sheep. It's one of the indicators of the last days. So certain things we see here in verse 19, you see God's mercy, Aaron's intercession, his humanity. You see the fact that it's a hard matter. But then you also see faults and chips in the law. Faults and chips in the law. What do you mean, faults and chips in the law? Turn with me really quick, in closing, to Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, really quick. In Hebrews 8, verse 7, it says, For if that first covenant had been false, uh, uh, faultless, if that first covenant had been faultless. You know, sometimes you hear me say that the law was designed with loopholes. It's, that's, this is where I get it from. It is designed with loopholes. It was written with loopholes. It was given to Moses with loopholes. Why? It says, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. You see? The law is a shadow of the things to come. The law is a shadow of Jesus Christ. And what's the second? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You don't seek after the law. You seek after Jesus Christ. Son of the Most High God. He says in verse 8, Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You see? A new covenant. It's the law according to grace. The law in the fulfillment of Jesus. In the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Also the offering. The sin offering, the grain offering. The burnt offering. The question is, do you believe? And if you believe, do you receive? Those are hardcore questions. Your life can depend on it. And your life does depend on it. You say, what are you talking about? I'm speaking about the life to come. Eternity with Jesus Christ. Eternity with your maker. Let's go back to Leviticus 10. In closing, last verse, last verse here. And it says, So when Moses heard that, he was content, which is, he was happy and cheerful. I was like, what? That's kind of weird. You know, he's happy and cheerful. But consider for a moment, I wonder. There's a lot of times that I read scripture, it's like, man, I wonder. And I wonder if Aaron's intercession for his sons I wonder if it reminded Moses of his own intercession for Israel. You know, when God was like, you know, hey, Moses, step aside. I'm going to kill these people and I'm going to start fresh with you. Moses, if he were prideful, would be like, okay, yeah, you know what? Let's start. Let's, you know, I want to be like Abraham. That's if he were prideful. But he wasn't. He says, no, no, Lord, don't do this. No, Lord, don't. No. He was interceding for Israel. Even when God told Moses, okay, you guys, you go to the land of milk and honey. I'm not going to be with you. You guys just go. And the Lord interceded even then. Like, you know, Lord, you know, be with us. Go with us. And he pleaded with the Lord. And then all of a sudden the Lord says, okay, I'm going to go with you in here. I'm going to give you the law with this additive of sacrifice because there needs to be you know, life for life. Life is in the blood. There needs to be atonement for sin. Because if I go with you, you know what? I'm going to kill you guys. Because the wages of sin is death. The same way the wages of, of sin today is death. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the wages of sin is death. You have hell to look forward to. When you die, when you take your last breath, you will burn in hell in accordance with the truth of God's holy word. If you die... Without Jesus Christ, you're burning hell. That's the bad news. Let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God loves you. And He gave His only begotten Son. He's the propitiation, which means kind of like He's the intercessor. He's also, you know, the blood offering. All these things that we read about in the law, like, you know, about, you know, a lot of blood in the law, a lot of blood. What does that tell us? There's a lot of sin, just like there's a lot of sin today. You know, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you need him. Your eternity depends on your decision that you make today, right here and now. And I say, choose life. Choose Jesus Christ. Receive Jesus Christ. You know, 
It's so beautiful when you see these passages because you see Aaron is a different Aaron. You know, he's no longer in his past. You know, what he was doing is he was fashioning the golden calf. And what do you see him here? He's now interceding for his sons. We're going to see him in future chapters interceding for Israel. You're going to see these things. And it's so beautiful because you know what? Maybe, you know, if you have turned your back on the Lord, maybe you yourself have fashioned golden calves. And I say, cut it out. Don't do that garbage stuff anymore. Change your ways, oh man. Change your ways, oh woman. And come back to Christ. You've never known Christ? Come to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you. And He wants to be with you in eternity. So we're going to end our study here. And we'll pick up Lord willing in chapter 11. And God bless you guys. Love you guys.